spied him earlier somewhere. I saw a lovely little young lady with him as well. Oh, here he is. <laughs> Welcome, Brooke. Um, Brooke is the, uh, the pastor of Blueprint Church, which is a church in town that was um, planted out of the rock. So he's part of our extended family here. And he also heads up a national youth ministry uh, called Zeal, which you may have heard of. So let's welcome Brooke as he comes up to share the word with us this morning. It's fantastic to be here at The Rock. Um, let's just pray, eh? Father, we just thank you so much that Lord, we overcome by the blood of the Lamb, the power of Jesus. Lord, the word of our testimony, Lord, the stories of him in this room this morning, the stories of suffering for your namesake, Lord, for conquering for your namesake. Lord, we love not our lives unto the death. Father, we just acknowledge this morning, Lord, every, every journey, every struggle, Lord, every victory, that is represented here at the Rock. Father, we pray, Lord, would you illuminate your truth to us? In Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> um, this morning, I, I, this doesn't happen to me very often at all, but I really felt like the Lord has given me a word for the Rock. And, um, yeah, this doesn't really, like I said, happen to me. I'm not a prophet. Um, I'm a zealot. <laughs> the thing with a zealot is they can get you really enthused. You're not really sure whether it's from God or not. <laughs> the prophet, they get you really convicted and most likely it's from God. So um, this morning, hopefully I'm a prophetic zealot, um, but time will tell because, of course, uh, prophecy has to be tested and proven in order to be the will of God. Um, I just want to start uh, by a quote by a, na- a woman named Madame Garong or Jean Garong. Um, some of you may know her. She lived in the 13th century. Um, she wrote one of the most famous Christian writings of all time called Experiencing the Depths of Jesus Christ that was actually lost for hundreds of years until the turn of the last century. And um, my, my title for my message this morning is Abandoning Ourselves to the House of the Lord and this is what Gurong has to say about abandonment. Abandonment is the means that the Lord will use to give you revelation. The revelation you receive will come to you as reality rather than knowledge. The revelation you receive will come to you as reality rather than knowledge. This is made possible only by abandonment. And Garon goes on to say, if you follow him as the way, you will hear him as the truth and he will bring life to you as the life. And abandonment is this idea that if you fully, fully surrender, fully hand over yourself to something, you abandon to it. To fully leave something, you abandon from something. You abandon ship to leave the ship. But if you abandon to the ship, you stay on the ship. That's why the captains went down with the ship. They would abandon themselves to the vessel, not away from it, although all the passengers would abandon themselves away. 
And um, of course this has huge relevance. Do you abandon yourself to God when times are good and away from him when times are bad? Do you abandon God, do you abandon yourself to the rock when times are good, when you like the preaching, you feel like God's with you, where you trust the leadership, or do you abandon yourself away from it when it suits you? Oh, I didn't mean to get that deep that early. <laughs> um, so I'm going to speak from the book of Haggai this morning. It's a minor prophet book. And um, just to give you some context of this book, it has two chapters. It's very, very short. I like that. Because prophetic books are hard to understand. Anyone read Ezekiel? (laughs) Um, But Haggai is is a very short prophetic book, so we can kind of gather what's been sent more. And really this morning I want to talk about abandoning yourself to the house of the Lord, but what it means to rebuild the house. What does it look like to actually rebuild the house in present tense? And Haggai is actually a book about this. It's dated during the reign of King Darius. Um, In Haggai chapter 1 we see the Lord reproving or rebuking the children of Judah for delaying the rebuilding of the temple, the house of the Lord. That's actually how the book begins, is with a reproval or rebuke that the people have abandoned from building the house of the Lord. And um, as a result their neglect has caused them to suffer hunger, thirst and poverty. Hunger, thirst and poverty. Now if you heard my last message at The Rock, it was a message about first fruits and I absolutely believe that some have actually forsaken the blessing of God and make no mistake about it, the blessing of God does not lead to hunger, thirst and poverty despite what some social gospels may be preached, that is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus did not come to make children hungry. He came to feed them. The gospel of Jesus Christ comes to feed, to clothe, to enrich, to value, to heal, to break the chains of of the wicked. It does not come uh, to enslave. And so the result of of the, the enslaving of Israel here in Haggai is a result of them turning from God, abandoning themselves away. Um, Now the Lord commands them to work on the temple. He says, look, you've abandoned yourself from me. You you need to begin to rebuild my house. You need to make me the centrepiece again of you as a nation. And in verse 2, in chapter 1, it says, Thus say the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. It, is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in panelled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvest little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Whoa. (laughs) This is intense. The children of Judah had neglected to build their spiritual house and therefore everything they had put their hand to in the natural gave up little or no reward. First and foremost, obviously, this is a rebuke to them, to Judah, in this time for 
this moment. But what we need to understand of the Gospels is that we don't just read a Bible of Old Testament and New Testament. We don't just read a historical narrative. None so much as when we open a prophetic book because a prophetic book is living. The Bible is living. It is a dynamic book and that is the reason why you can read the same chapter and verse over and over again and get something different. You ever gone through a verse line by line, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except for me. I am the way, the truth and the And emphasise the different words. It's incredible the revelation you get just from that one verse, isn't it? And so the Bible is this living document. It's this living, breathing, dynamic thing. And therefore what's being said to Haggai here for Judah has some relevance, some importance today. And uh, I am of the belief that the Bible is infallible, meaning that nothing is wrong in it. Absolutely every word, including the genealogies and all the different rituals of Leviticus and Numbers, are there for a purpose today. Now that purpose may be for Israel, because they are still on the forefront of God's heart, make no mistake about it, but nevertheless they are relevant today. And so here we see this verse that, that it says, it is not yet time to build. You know, Haggai's saying, hey, look, you know, some of you are saying it's not yet time to build. And we get this, don't we, in the church? We get this in our personal faith. Oh, I don't really have time to actually build the altar of worship in my own life to God because I'm too busy with X, Y, Z. You know, I don't really think it's time that the Lord's doing something for the church. I'm just kind of waiting for God to arrive so that then I can arrive also. That's pretty scary when you start reading Matthew 25 about the foolish and wise virgins to think about just waiting for God to arrive to kind of get your act together. It doesn't really play out well for you (laughs) or for me if we're that Christian. Um, So here it says, you know, is this a time for you who dwell in panel houses to build your own house? You've sown much and harvest little. You've given much and got little back, little reward back. And... um, You know, who is this house? I mean, it's obvious in Haggai, isn't it? The house is the temple of the Lord that had been destroyed, that they're looking to be rebuilt. The centrepiece, this geographical centrepiece that would embody the manifest presence of God that would then bless the nation, right? But who is the house now? Let me digress for a second um, with another quote from Jean Garong, because she really talks about building the house of the Lord. There is a possibility that you might make the mistake concerning your abandonment to the Lord. You may abandon yourself to the Lord, hoping and expecting to always be caressed and loved and spiritually blessed by him. You who have given yourself to the Lord during some pleasant season may take note of this. If you gave to him to be blessed and to be loved, you cannot suddenly turn around and take your life back in another season when you are being crucified. You know, oh, well, the circumstances just aren't conducive to my faith at the moment. You know, the church seems to be in all sorts of... um, 
confusion, you know. I mean, where was our collective voice with Christchurch and now the Rena and, and Taronga and where's our, been, our stance on Pike River? What, what is the church saying? Well, it's just mute. The church, the church, the church, the church. Where is the church? The church, is it that panel? Is it that tree? My daughter really wanted to go to that tree this morning. Well, I said to her it was a distraction in worship. <laughs> Instead she was flying a yo-yo in front of Tibby's face as she tried to worship. That she got on the welcome pack, I might add. <laughs> See, do we serve God in times of just tremendous blessing where God is with us? Oh, great God. Or is God just my one, one, one service? Is God just the one that picks me up off the pavement when things are going wrong? Well, he is. But largely the Old Testament is filled with the story of this nation has these tremendous victories of God when it has suffered defeat. And then after victory it's like, oh man, you know what would be really cool if we could serve a God that had a pot belly? We could just build this altar to this God? Or maybe a cow would be great. If we could just have a golden cow to worship, it would be far more simplistic. Is this a time for you who dwell in panelled houses to work on your own house? I remember getting um, converted, not saved, converted when I was 17 years old. Converted means you're abandoned to something. Was converted to Jesus, abandoned to him. I remember walking into church afterwards because I'd left church long before because my philosophy was if church wasn't exciting, it wasn't worth going to. Unless God was in you and then you go to church, right? Like I used to go to my church not because God was in me but because it was literally just exciting. Weird things would happen because weird people went to my dad's church. <laughs> and so we went to the circus on Sunday but not for God but for the circus, right? But when I actually got converted, I went to church thinking, man, the majority of people here must be here like me, that their heart bleeds for God, that they're abandoned to him in poverty and in riches and wanting and no lack. And to my huge surprise as a 17-year-old, that wasn't true. You look out across the audience and you see people going to screensaver, 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 screensaver. No one's moved the mouse. Then suddenly Monday morning, oh, oh, better get the computer working again. Got to work for the man now. Got to build my panelled house. Got to harvest something, but oh, and who earns a wage, puts it into a bag full of holes. How many have lost from the recession? How many mortgagee sales are happening around the country because the dream is to own your own New Zealand home? Yet what's happened to the house of the Lord? What's happened to God's house? The house that's meant to rule. Did you know, before even the word Ecclesia came out, representing the church, talking about the fellowship of believers, the original word for church among the twelve meant governing body over a city. Governing body over a city. Ecclesia was a secondary word that was used to then describe the mass numbers of saints that are gathered. By Acts chapter 4 it was 15,000. Within the first hundred years of Christianity it was a hundred million. 
They had to have a name to describe themselves, and that name was Ecclesia. But before that, the original mandate on the church was governing body over city. So which house are we building? We building to govern over a city? We building our panel houses? And of course, you know, we, we come to church and it's sort of like, you know, all that hinges on the All Blacks tonight. My self-esteem has been completely surrendered to an 80-minute match and God help us if the ref from last night is the ref tonight. (laughs) And whether Wepu rises or falls will determine my self-esteem for the next six weeks as a New Zealander, and so it should. (laughs) (laughs) Right? We do the same in church, don't we? And we come, and it's like, this is the church, the rock. And if Greg shares, if, if Greg leads us in the way that I think we should go, and if everything goes well, and everything goes right, and I'm blessed individually, and my panelled house looks better, you know, and my purse with my wages is fuller, oh, Judas, somewhere. <laughs> then, you know, that's cool, but I restore my... And then people, you know, I watched this DVD the other day called Losing Our Religion. All these people from New Zealand, Australia, getting up. the church did this, the church did that, the church did the other thing, the church did this thing. And I was like going, oh my goodness, was this some building? Did some bricks and mortar hurt you? Did you trip and fall? Poor you. Poor you, you've been hurt by church. Give me a break. I've been hurt by church. Might have given me a fat lip. The world hurts me far more than the church has hurt me. Let's be real. The system of the panelled house hurts you far more than the church has hurt you. Yet somehow we get to screensaver on Sunday because, you know, oh, well, actually, I'm just kind of here to be filled up so I can go out and build my panelled house. You are the house. You are the house. He is the vine. You are the branches. He who remains in me will bear much fruit. He who bears no fruit will be cut off the vine. You are the house. This is not the house. The rock. Are you serious? Oh, and we get all, you know, kind of symbolic about it, don't we? Oh, we are on a high place overlooking the city. The rock. Build your life on it. That's a witness, folks. That's a real witness as I drive out of Wellington. Hey, look, I'm not dissing the sign. That's fantastic. But don't think the sign is the light. Don't think this building is the light. You are the light and your life determines whether this house will shine or not. You, not Greg. Greg is a light. Have you sat down with him? I'm going like this. See my sin, Greg Simnor! <laughs> Don't expose him. And guess what? Every time. <laughs> you go, oh man, he's a really hard guy to meet with. Yeah, because he meets with God. You are the house. You are the house. Stop pointing the finger somewhere else. You've got three pointing back at you. God has made you to shine. 
Therefore let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You know, I just, you know the, the striking, I wasn't going to go here, but I'm going there. The striking nightmare that I have is this picture, and I have this P.O. box down in Wellington. You know when you go into the New Zealand Post um, P.O. boxes and you just go down lines and lines of P.O. boxes. And I have this vision that when I arrive in heaven it will be like this white room, you know, like on Matrix 1. And Morpheus is there, of course, but Morpheus isn't Morpheus, it's Jesus. And Jesus says, I've got something to show you, Brooke. And then he just snaps his fingers and instead of lines of guns coming, it's just lines of P.O. boxes just coming after one, after another, after another, after another, after another, after another. And then once they're all there, God leads me down the aisle and he takes me down to my number and he hands me the key to my P.O. box and I open my P.O. box and I pull it out and I lift the lid and I begin to cry. And I cry because in that P.O. box is my pearl of great price from Matthew 13. And I begin to weep because I didn't discover the pearl of great price on earth. And that it sat here in the heavenlies for me, my inheritance, the treasure where moth and rust does not destroy but it was never realised. It never materialised on earth. Now it sits there meaningless in eternity because all things have come together. All things have been made new and I was not a part of it. You are the house, family. You are it. And the light and the vision and the ability for the rock to shine lies on you. You determine the glory of of the house. And of course this is what the people of Haggai did not realise. It was not the temple put as the centrepiece in Jerusalem that would determine the glory of God on Israel. It was Israel turning their hearts from their panelled houses to the house of the Lord. And all the temple was was a symbol to help them turn. If I get them building the temple then their eyes will turn away from the panelled house and on to the house of the Lord. Are you hearing me this morning? And in 1 Corinthians 3.16, this, this builds on this idea. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for his temple is holy. And you are that temple. So which temple gets the most attention? The panelled house temple? The temple of the 40-hour week? You know, Christians created the 40-hour week. Salvation Army created the 40-hour week. It's true. Working standards for working class people that you wouldn't work more than 40 hours to be oppressed because there's other things in life far more important than the 40-hour week. But how much does my life build the 40-hour week? How, does my, how much does my life build the house of the living God in me. In me. There's a message here today and he who has an ear to hear, let him hear it. Let me just digress for a second away from Haggai to Genesis chapter 14 just to kind of build the point here. And uh, we see here, Abraham isn't known as a warrior, but we see here that this is one of... um, 
Abraham's victories as actually a man of war. And we see in chapter 14 from verse 17 onwards, it says this, After his return, Abraham's return from the defeat of Chedonamah, and the kings who were with him and the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shavar, that is the king's valley, and Melchizedek, the king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest of the Most High God, and he blessed him and said, Blessed Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave a tenth of everything to Melchizedek. And the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to the Lord God, most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should be able to say, I have made Abram's rich. See, Abram's story mirrors Haggai's story in Haggai chapter 1. Here's Abram. Abram goes out and defeats the enemies of these two kings. The king of peace, Melchizedek, who interestingly enough, his identity is not in being a king. It's in being a priest of the Most High. Are you hearing the link? Right? And also the king of Sodom. Now we know Sodom, don't we? Sodom gets destroyed. Sodom embodies everything of ungodliness. Everything. And as a result of Abram winning this victory, without being asked, he just automatically gives his first fruits to Melchizedek. This man of God gives the first fruits of the spoils. And then Sodom says, take the riches for yourself. And he says, no, lest you make me rich. So he recognised that there were two kingdoms operating. The kingdom of Melchizedek which actually Jesus is in the order of, if you read Hebrews chapter 12, and the kingdom of Sodom. Now the spirit of Sodom still lives here and is alive and well today. And what Abraham said is, he said, I'm drawing the line, I'm not actually going to live a life of building a panelled house, of building in the riches of a capitalist or monarchy society. I am going to build the house of the Lord in the order of Melchizedek and I'm going to start by giving away my spoils to him. How powerful was that, man? That is powerful. People take this as like the premise for tithing. It's not the premise of tithing here, folks. It's the premise of abandonment. Abandonment to the house of the Lord, not the house of Sodom. And you know what abandonment is? 100% of everything. 100% of everything. Here he says, I do not want a bar of Sodom. And somehow we sit here and we go, man, the house of God lies in ruins, you know. How can the moon man get up and have such an impact in Christchurch and all our pastors are mute to say anything? Like no one's prepared to just get up with a collective voice and actually speak to it. Where is the power of the church if it's not in the midst of the greatest disaster of our lifetime in New Zealand? Where is it, man? Because I don't know about you, but I don't serve a Jesus that we just sung that he overcame 
so that the people in Christchurch don't overcome because the church doesn't have a voice. Now I happen to know that some churches in Christchurch are the voice by their actions, and that's fantastic, but it still begs the question, doesn't it? Where is the one that will stand up and actually say, you know what, we don't serve the God of Sodom, I'm not afraid of what Sodom's going to say to me, but you need to listen here. And there are verses in the Bible that talk about the Lord bringing calamity, and we're not saying that that's what's happened here, but let me tell you this, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. And New Zealand has lived for a long time as a secular nation and could it be that there could be a God factor in all of this? We're just raising the question. Maybe that would have got some unbelievers on their knees. Oh no, but then then you're saying that God caused an earthquake. Well, could he have prevented it? A friend of mine died in a car accident. Could God prevent it? Yes. My uncle died of cancer. Have people been healed of cancer? Yes. My granddad died without being able to word out his love for his eldest son, incapable of telling his son his love. I sat there at the deathbed of my grandfather and watched him try to tell my dad how much he meant to him and he couldn't. Could God have changed that? Yes, he could. but we're just unprepared to stand up and say, actually, we're the order of Melchizedek here. We're building the house of the Lord no matter what. And if it's when I'm being crucified, so be it. And if it's when I'm being loved and cherished, so be it. And you know what? I'm here. I'm a son of the rock. I'm speaking of myself now, not you. I am a son of the rock and I am for the rock. I've been to three houses in my life and one of them I planted I'm a son of this place and rain, hail or shine, regardless, I will be a son here until this place breaks up into oblivion. Why? Because I am of the order of Melchizedek. I do not live my life under the order of Sodom. And you need to ask yourself the question this morning. You need to ask it good and straight. You need to look yourself in the mirror and say, what order do I live under? Because I want to tell you something. More dangerous times are coming, folks. And if you think in the last year that we've had Pike River and then we've had the two earthquakes and now we've got the Rena that's causing the greatest maritime disaster over New Zealand and we've got a double-dip recession and you think it's going to get better, listen, the only way this gets better is by the voice of Haggai being heard that there is hunger, there is thirst and poverty, and then the people of the Lord turn to him. And then the remnant turn to God. God is the deliverer of New Zealand, folks. God is the deliverer of our nation, not greater economic gain through some rugby world cup that chooses to sell itself for $11 million to Heineken and bows to the pressures of the economies of the world. No, 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 no. God is the one who brings the change. He is the one. Amen. And isn't that true? Matthew 6.33 Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. I don't worship all these things. All the things that God has blessed our family with. All the things. My goodness, Katie and I just sit back sometimes and go, Man, our two children, they haven't suffered. They're just these sweet little angels. Why? All these things. We didn't pray for that. We're praying for those who are without. We're praying for those who are struggling. We're in the trench. 
trying to outwork the mission of God in our local context. But all these things, all these things, the panelled houses and the wages and the, oh, being able to pay the bills and all that stuff that pressures my mind. And then suddenly, you know, I'm more stressed about a rugby game than the state of the nation. And I'm actually hinging the state of the nation on 15 players who like to hug in groups of eight. (laughs) Hold each other's thighs. I mean, it's just wrong. (laughs) We needed humour there. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Haggai 1, 7 and 9, Consider your ways, which house you are building. You can come to this house this morning with your critiques or your criticisms. You can come with the expectation to be noticed, to lead, to be known. But ultimately the rock is only a reflection of those who embody it. The Spirit of the Lord has been stirring over the waters of the rock, shaking its foundations. So this message to build the house is both capital H for the rock and little h for you. But the glory this house has is determined by the glory of your house. You know, I was here about eight months ago and I was worshipping and as I was worshipping I saw this picture of the car park out the front here and I watched as the car park broke up and started to crack and through the car park came these signs of life, like weeds, you know, that grow through like your, your driveway and stuff. And um, I thought, you know, there's a lot of people who are saying that, that the rock is cracking. But what they don't realise is that what's been cracked and broken away is what's been man-made and man-built here and that what's coming through is what God always intended. And listen, like, I'm going to go right out on the edge here and I'm walking the plank, but here we go. The former glory of this house was built on the vision of men who were inspired men of God, who had creativity in their veins from God, but it was not built on the prophetic will of God. How do I know it? Because I'm a zealot, remember? I know how to inspire someone to a cause that does not mean one iota that that cause is God. What's cracking through are the signs of life, the signs of God. So is there any surprise that you're irritated, frustrated, confused, kind of antsy? Some of you are inspired. You feel like out of control for the first time in months. You're kind of going up on your tiptoes. you got that what? going to happen and of course tiptoes drive you to your knees eh? you get on your knees you begin to pray and you go oh my goodness everything I've made everything I've put my hand to is about to go up and smoke how exciting (laughs) oh it's going to be good man I better make sure the name of the Lord is my strong tower Proverbs 18 hallelujah because my towers aren't looking good. <laughs> They're looking like the leaning tower of Pisa right now. <laughs> you hear what I'm saying? What an exciting time. Is it any wonder this is happening? Haggai continues, Go up to the hills and bring wood that you may build the house that I might take pleasure in it and that I might be glorified. 
that God wants His glory back, people. He wants it back. He longs for the glory of your heart to shine for Him, for Him to fully embody the glory in you. You know, um, Colossians 1.27, and He made this mystery known among the Gentiles, which is you, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Luke 17.21, I tell you the truth, that the kingdom of God does not come by observation, neither you can say there it is or here it is because the kingdom of God is within you. It is within you. All the fullness of the power of Jesus Christ, the same power that resurrected him from the dead, the same power that healed the lame, that caused the blind to see, the same power that caused his words to confound the wise are within you this morning if you are a Christian. If you're not, we can pray for you and that power will come upon you And you will see with new eyes. You will live with new ears. You will walk with new hands. It is in you. It's not somewhere out there. It's not something we've got to pray and fast and try to find. It's within you. You may fast to make it more apparent in you. You may pray to make it more apparent in you, but it is there. It is inside of you. And here he's saying, who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Hey, listen, I'm not looking for hands that are filling their bag with wages. I'm not looking for hands that are just going out and building panelled houses. They're not clean hands. I'm looking for hands that are raised to me. I mean, what did God see on the hands this morning? Huh? Do you see your palm print? You saw the work of your hands. You're saved by grace, but your reward is contingent on your and dependent on your works. Your reward in heaven will be determined by that pearl of great price. I don't get that because I'm saved, people. And it doesn't matter what I've achieved. It doesn't matter that I'm preaching here today. It doesn't matter that I'm the mouthpiece for this word. None of that matters. My comparisons to you, comparison is sin, none of that matters. What matters is that Brooke Turner lives to the fullness of the call of God on Brooke Turner's life. And when my hands are raised to God, what does he see? Because he doesn't see just the guy speaking up the front of the rock. He sees everything. Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? He has clean hands and a pure heart. He is the one who discovers my house of many rooms. The closer you are to God, the more you receive his nature. The more you receive his nature, the more you will draw upon his sustaining power. His sustaining power. The sustaining power, isn't that what we're looking for? Not a church of fads, just like a fashion of fads, but the sustaining power of God in the church for her to be fully realised as the body of Christ. Hallelujah. Your main concern, therefore, is with the presence of Jesus Christ. Your main concern lies in the dwelling continually upon the Lord who is within you. The Lord who is within you. The main concern. The main concern. You've got a pressure. I know there's there's pressures on you this morning. For some of you, you have come to church with pressures. God says your main concern is dwelling with him is looking internally, that your answer will not come in the external, it will come from the internal in him. Take heart from the stirring that is happening here from the Lord. It is stirring, 
He is stirring himself up in you and the rock in a twofold sovereign move. Obedience is the doorway to abandoning yourself to the Lord and this is what the children of Judah did in Haggai. See, they understood, not everyone understood like the prophet Haggai, right? Like these prophets get up. I hear these prophets say, I know some of them like Cindy Rukhira and she'll get up and she'll speak a prophecy and she has full interpretation of it. I don't understand it completely. I don't understand. But I trust the word of the Lord. You don't have to understand everything that comes from the pulpit. You don't have to understand everything you read in the book. But you trust that it's right. I don't understand why Jesus had to be baptised. Baptism has been buried and our, our, our sins being buried. There's a perfect man. It's a contradiction. Why? I mean, gosh, I could have a crisis of faith over that. Goodness gracious me. All the scholars get a hold of me. My word. I don't need to understand it. Jesus can do whatever the heck he likes. He's God. Be like, oh, I want to start there, all right. I want to get baptised. Sounds cool. All right. My cousin does it. You know, I want him to, I want to build his self-esteem. Must be pretty hard being the cousin to God. <laughs> yeah, I know he jumped in the womb, but it's not as big as sort of what I'm going to do. So, you know, let's just humour him. Who knows? Imagine if you get to heaven and that's it. It's like, oh, yeah, I thought it'd be fun. Do you have to understand everything of God? Listen, the things you understand are not fun, are they? The things you fully get don't hold your attention. It's the stuff you don't get that holds your attention. It's when you're trying to work out what your kid's actually saying to you that holds your attention. When you fully understand them, you're like, oh yeah, sweet. You're going, what the heck is this human on about? They are chattering at a million miles an hour and I cannot understand a word that's coming out of their mouth. Yeah, cool. <laughs> Haggai, not all the people in Haggai understood, but they obeyed. Obedience leads to abandonment and that opens the door to understanding. Your eyes are opened after obedience, not before. And so that Haggai is the messenger of the Lord and spoke to the people with the Lord's message. And it goes on to say this in Haggai 1, 13 and 14. I am with you, declares the Lord, and the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel and the son of Shetel, the governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadat, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people, and they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. You've got to understand this from Haggai, that there were two people that God stirred up. He stirred up Zerubbabel and Joshua. And these guys, one was of the line of the priesthood and one was of the line of the governing body over the city. And they were the guys who would lead the people into the fullness of what God had. And then he stirred up a remnant. And this is what I had to say to the rock this morning. There are Zerubbabel's and Joshua's in the midst here and you need to learn to recognise them. You know, in New Zealand, we're not very good at submitting to authority. We're not very good at recognising authority. How would you like it if a 17-year-old boy walked into this church filled with power of the Holy Spirit, came up and started unfolding the scriptures in a way that you never knew and said, I'm here to set up your new eldership? Because that's what Timothy did. 
at 17 because he was a Zerubbabel. See, can you be strong enough to recognise when the call of God is on someone's life? Can you recognise it? Is it just for the youth? Or is it for the house? He who has eyes to see will see who those people are and will raise them up. Man, you know, I heard a story the other day. A 19-year-old man in America, given the authority by the US Air Force to fly a $20 million aircraft, but he was not allowed to hand out the offering sticks at church. That is ridiculous, folks. That is absolutely ludicrous that the US Air Force is willing to train this guy, put millions of dollars into his training for him to fly a fighter aircraft but he can't hand out the offering because, you know, he's only 19. He's young. Well, actually, he's old biblically for leaders. Can you recognise the Joshua's and the Zerubbabel's in the house, man? You need to start recognising them. Some of them, Jeremy was talking about some of them today. Some of them are younger. Some of them are real young. Some of them are the Benjamins. Led the nation at seven. Man, we've got to open our eyes and stop building in the order of Sodom. We've got to come of age. We've got to somehow go through this education system that takes me all this way, that doesn't educate my spirit at all, just educates my mind, educates me in Greek philosophy, pulls me away into reason and logic and progress instead of revelation and then somehow I've got to spend 20 years in that and then I've got to have a reputable position and earn over 200000 a year and then I can be an elder. Mate, we need to wake up because that church is dying in massive droves. And listen, money might perpetuate a machine but let me tell you something, it is the power of God that perpetuates mission. Make no mistake about it. There might be denominations and groups of churches with massive amounts of real estate and big old money, but you know what? It is absolutely dross in heaven. It's dross. It's ash at the throne floor. But I tell you what, those who choose to look ridiculous to the world, the foolish things confound the wise, will be honoured in heaven. And this is such a place. And other than the Zerubbabels and the Joshuas, there is a remnant among you that have been stirring. Some of them are praying right now. They are praying for you. They were praying this morning before you even arrived. They pray during the week when you're not even thinking about God. They pray for you. They pray for the house in you to be built. They are the remnant and they are being stirred up. Speak now, this is Haggai 2.2, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shetel, the governor of Judah and Joshua, the son of Jehozadat, the high priest and the remnant of the people and say, who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Let me tell you something. I saw the rock in its former glory. I saw it. I came here as a teenager, I saw it when there were just massive lines of people wanting to get into this place. I saw this house in its former glory. I came here in 2001, I was here at the latter ends of its former glory. How do I see it now? 
Some of you were there. Some of you have stayed, you've seen it in former glory. How do I see it now? Is it as nothing in your eyes? I'll tell you what is nothing. Everything that was built by the hands of men. Everything that was built by the hands of men. Because I want to tell you something, you can have a great strategic plan that gathers people on a Sunday, but it is not a strategic plan that brings revelation in your heart, that bursts inside of you, that changes everything, that instead of seeing blue, you now see purple. Instead of, instead of feeling this weight on you, like you've got to somehow raise your legs to walk, you feel like you're walking on a cloud. That is not a strategic plan, people. That does not come from, you know, the great thinkers of Saatchi and Saatchi and Procter and Gamble and all these wonderful business people. It comes from Jesus. And when you get that, how do I see it in my eyes now? I see the moment arising on this house to realise the power of God that was intended over 22 years ago. That's what I see. And some of you have been gathered here, some of you, even the newest person here this morning, you've been gathered here not to just find something new, but to actually call to the old, to call to that growth that was underneath the cracks of that man-made stuff and rise it forward. And then some of you are sitting here going, well, where's Greg's strategic plan? That's exactly the point. Do you not see? Do you not hear? Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work. For I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. My spirit remains in your midst. The spirit the Lord has raised up in this place, this is a really key moment here, is not so you can be sent out in terms of out to plant new things. The spirit that is being raised up in this place is so that you will remain, so that you will be a light on a hill, not this hill of Nairanga Gorge, the hill of the Lord. That you will be a light and that you will remain and there's some of you that God is wanting to covenant with for his house that as you actually covenant to the corporate house of the Lord, meaning the rock, that God will actually usher in a blessing and an unfolding in your own life as you commit to do so. But remember, it's for the times of crucifying and the times of caressing. It's for both times, see. We must understand this. And this is what was being said in Haggai, For I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. My spirit remains in your midst. The power of God is here and it has not left. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord. Again, the twofold meaning. Your house, inside of you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And this house, the rock. And the latter glory of this house will be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house will be greater than the former glory. Any of you had seen it, any of you had witnessed it, it was nothing in comparison to the work that God wants to do out of this house, the rock. There is more, it will be greater and that you would be so bold to believe, to put aside your arguments, to put aside your hurts, to put aside the things that hold you back from God, that the house in you will be greater. You know there's people going, oh my best years were my high school years. It's like, as Christians sometimes we like that too, eh? I remember that year of 1996 where God spoke to me where I felt God. And then it's like those were the glory days. It's like those were the glory years. 
It's like the glory years are yet to come for you individually. God has more for you. Old men and women will see visions. Young men will have dreams. You know, there is more in you. God wants you to burn out bright, not to burn out dead. You know what burning out bright looks like? It looks like Elijah, that after he's dead, the guy gets thrown in his tomb and gets raised. That's burning out bright, brothers and sisters. You want to burn out bright that your legacy goes far beyond you? You know what burning out bright for me? Burning out bright means that my little daughter Alexa, lying asleep at the back of this church, has ten times the revelation, ten times the impact, ten times the power of God running through her veins as I do. That I burn out bright, I burn for her. I burn for her that she might burn for the house of the Lord. Coming into land. Hallelujah. Some of you are going, thank God for that. <laughs> so let me finish with a, a few quotes like I did at the beginning from Gurong. What is abandonment? It is forgetting your past. It is leaving the future in his hands. No strategic plan. It is devoting the present fully and completely to the Lord. Abandonment is being satisfied with the present moment, no matter what that moment contains. You are satisfied because you know whatever that moment has, it contains in that instance God's eternal plan for you. Many of you today may be questioning the moment you're in. You may be questioning the state of your heart. But take heart because the plan of God has led you to this moment. And the question is this, can you recognise what the Lord is saying? I'm going to pray for you in a minute that you can. Remember, you must never blame man for anything. No matter what happened, it is neither man or circumstances that bought it. You must accept everything, of course your own, accept your own sinfulness, as having come from the Lord. Right? Circumstances haven't led you to this point. People haven't done these terrible things to you that have led you to the point. God, in his divine wisdom, has got you at this point. Are you hearing me? Collectively as the rock, God in his divine wisdom has brought the rock to this point. God in his divine wisdom has brought you to this point. So surrender not only what the Lord does to you, but surrender to your reaction to what he does. Surrender not only to what the Lord does to you, but surrender to your reaction to what he does. Now, um, what I want to do is, I just really feel like we need to pray for some people this morning. Um, so I know we've, we've gone quite long, so we're not going to go into deep ministry, but just want everyone to stand up. That's cool. And uh, let's just close our eyes together. And let's just really respect this because um, God's been speaking in our midst. Well, I'm just going to pray for a series of people and as I 
as I identify who you are, just raise your hand. You can just raise it up and put it back down again. I'm going to pray for you. We're just going to ask God, who is here in divine power at this moment, that has brought you here today for this reason, to take that surgeon's hand and do his work. give you revelation that your eyes may be opened so if you're in this place today and you know just with every eye closed that you've been living as a man or woman who has been building the panelled house you've been living under the order of Sodom you've been putting your wages into a bag full of holes You've been neglecting the house of the Lord, that house inside of you, that God in you, Christ in you. Your heart's beating so fast right now, you just know I need to surrender to the living King of Kings. I need to have wholesale change in my life. I need to make wholesale decision right here, right now. If that's you, just with every eye closed, I just want you to raise your hand and put it back down again. I'm going to pray for you. Hallelujah. Just raise it up and put it back down. That's fine once you've raised it. Father God, I pray in the power of the Holy Spirit right now that you would come close to these precious ones of yours. Lord, their honesty. Lord, their humility to reach out their hand to you and to say, Jesus, I want you to be the centrepiece. I want to build the house of the Lord from this day on inside of me. Lord, I pray, Lord, would you quicken your Holy Spirit in them. In Jesus' name, right now. Manifest yourself to them, God. Empower, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord, that the scales would be, I just see scales being lifted off the eyes, that the scales would be lifted off their eyes, that they would see with new eyes. Lord, that some of the theologies they've had, things that they've been taught, would be lifted off their eyes, Lord, that they might see the true Jesus, the Jesus of this moment, the Jesus of this time, the Jesus of today to them, God. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, Lord, I thank you that mercy triumphs over judgment, that you do not sit in judgment over them this morning, but mercy runs to you. It runs to you this morning in the name of Jesus. It runs to you to quicken your heart, to enable you to see with new eyes. Hallelujah. 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 And if you're in this place this morning and you know that you're spoken out, either inwardly in your thoughts or outwardly with your words against the church, against Christianity, against God, against the rock. And there's just been a burning conviction. It may even be a frustration while I was talking, an irritation at me, the zealot. But you just know, you just know your hands clasped tight in a fist, but it needs to be opened. That You need to return to the house of the Lord. You've been sitting here, but you need to return here. I just want you to raise your hand and put it back down again, if that's you. Just raise your hand and put it back down. It's cool. 
Lord Jesus, I pray for these precious ones of yours, Lord, I pray. Lord, lift out the cynicism and the criticisms, the critique within them. Lord, cause them not to look at the problems any longer, but to look at the answer, that Jesus, you are the answer, that we do not serve a gospel of questions, but one of answers that the kingdom of God brings the full restoration to mankind, that you are the answer to the broken heart, that you are the answer to the hurting mind, that you are the answer to the confusing circumstances that we're facing, that, Lord, you are the answer to all of that. Lord, just by your Holy Spirit, reveal yourself now. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Jesus name just the last one just if you're here this morning and you know that your faith has been a faith that looks for the caressing and loving of God and that you know that that sustaining power to never leave or forsake him rain hail or shine is something that has been missing in you and you can just look on your life you can see this yo-yo sort of timeline of going in and out of seeking God and coming back and forth from Him. And you just want to say, God, I'm just tired. I'm just tired of going back and forth. I want to remain. I want to remain in you. I want to be a branch of the vine that is knitted in. You just raise your hand. I'm just going to pray for you real quick. Just raise it up and put it back down. Lord Jesus, I believe firmly, Lord, that your presence isn't something that we have to come into and walk out from. That your presence can be omnipresent with us because you are an omnipresent God. And Lord, I pray for these precious ones of yours, Lord, who have raised their hands, Lord, Lord, that their lives have, have sought you Lord, for that caressing and love, but really struggled to trust, really struggled to abandon themselves to you in times of want, in times of struggle, in times when heaven seems that it is mute. God, I pray that you would come by the power of your Holy Spirit with sustaining power upon them this morning, that you would give them the same power. Lord, we forget the past in Jesus' name. Lord, we forget the past, every thought right now that would try to condemn. I thank you for Romans 8, 1, Lord, that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus and that you are not a God that receives the prodigals by listing all the things that they haven't done. You're a father that runs out to the prodigal, that wraps your arms around them and it doesn't matter how often that prodigal runs away, that when they run back, you run to greet them, God. But Lord, greet them this time with a sustaining power that they would remain in your body, that they would remain in uh, the vine, that Lord, they would remain with you in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for what you're doing here this morning. Lord, we just pray that you would continue to work in each one of us, Lord. Lord, that revelation wouldn't just come from the pulpit. Lord, revelation would come. Lord, as we open your word, as we close our eyes, as, Lord, we look out into nature, Lord, and startle us by your revelation you have for our inner house and the house you're building here at the rock, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. 
Awesome. And um, we have a prayer team down the front. So if you don't know Jesus yet and you would like to get to know who this uh, person is that we've been talking about this morning, do come down and, and see our prayer team. And if you have any other prayer needs as well. Don't forget, though, tonight we have our rugby night on. Um, we still love rugby, don't we? <laughs> um, so do come out. Bring, bring your friends and neighbours. Come and support tonight. Um, 6 o'clock, remember the new time tonight, uh, special time tonight and next Sunday of 6 o'clock. Uh, Greg speaking next Sunday morning and I think that's about it. So see you guys tonight. Thank you.